Hello and welcome to another episode of The Other Modern. I'm your host, That Damn Pipsqueak, and I'm joined today by Cyberconometer and Herzy Quirzy. Um, and today we're going to be talking about history, everyone's favorite subject. Um, in general, as MSEM has expanded over and over and over again, um, and we've just had this incredible influx of new members, we're starting to hit year four, I think it's a good time to kind of look back at some of the utterly absurd times that this format has gone through, um, whether that be a year in, or in some of these cases, two, two and a half years in. Um, one of them actually has been in the past six months. Um, so we're going to talk about some of the strongest decks that MSEM ever saw in each archetype, um, which means we're going to be talking about some of the cards, some of the decks that are reasons why cards are on the ban list or were historically on the ban list, and talk about some cards that, you know, you're familiar with, but maybe you didn't realize they used to be that stupid. Um, so without further ado, let's start us off with um, aggro. Uh, do either of you guys want to talk about our honorable mention for aggro? The honorable mention is actually by far the most recent one on this list because it is in the format right now. It is current UR burn propped up a lot by Plasma Addict. Yeah, um, I think... It's fair to say that if you have played against that deck or played as that deck, you know that it's kind of just head and shoulders something arguably more powerful than basically anything else in the format. And I think the main thing that's kind of keeping the format safe is a healthy amount of respect of that uh, deck, where yeah. it does have tools to fight against it. You can gain a lot of life. You can kill its creatures. But it is it has an insanely fast goldfish, and it has a lot of terrifying reach. Um but, you know, if, if you want to play with a busted deck, that's definitely the one that's most easily accessible, um, I would say. Um, and the strongest aggro deck is another burn deck. Um, but this one <laughs> kind of makes blue-red burn look like a standard deck. Actually, wait, no, that would mean more standard wasn't a shit check. Um, but old standard, old standard deck. Yeah, yeah. St standard in the olden days, not the RTR days, but like older than that. Um, so the deck we are identifying as the strongest aggro deck that MSCM has ever seen is Vidal Burn, featuring Soul Lands and Peak Point Presence, um, circa Grand Prix Tokyo. So those are a lot of buzzwords. Um, so let's start with the kind of namesake of the card slash the card that. Well, it didn't get championed, but um, one, one of the cards that is on the ban list because of this deck, which is Vidal. Uh, Vidal is a rare from Unraveling. He's a 4-2 with haste for red, red, and one. When he enters the battlefield, you flip cards off the top of your library until you flip an enchantment with CMC three or less. You put on the battlefield, and then you shuffle the rest back into your library. Uh, on the bottom in a random now, Strictly speaking. Sure. Uh, Usually it didn't matter, because you were dead. Um, because what it did is it flipped a Kinken off the top of its library. Um, and Kinken meant that it would draw a card, then Vidal would attack, and create another Vidal. So that meant for three mana, you got eight damage and a card draw. And I it left a 4-2 with haste for your opponent to deal with. <laughs> yeah, it was a eight damage swing on turn three, and it's already doing normal burn stuff on top of that. Um, was this also the build where Jan experimented with uh, Bloodright Covenant, or no? This, the Tokyo list uh, has that in the sideboard, not in the main. So, yeah, it's got... yeah. do either of you guys want to explain that bit of tech? 
Uh, the Bloodbed Covenant is well. It's basically it's a when you it's another enchantment, and it has some effects that won't really matter for Kinkins for Vidal. The main thing is that it's an enchantment fling. So mm-hmm. you get your first Vidal down. It swings, attacks, and you either get you'll either get your Kinkin to get the double down, or if your opponent if you get the deck that has a lot of blockers, you side in the Blood Covenant instead. And then you can just uh, immediately fling Vidal at them, or after damage, whatever you want. So you're actually missing a because if you're running is, oh, both Kinkan and the Covenant, Vidal, if you get lucky, flips the Kinkan, which flip, which gives you a second Vidal, copy. which flips the Blood Cult Covenant, making that a and Covenant the sacks the Vidal copy. Letting you keep the original right, Vidal around while hitting them for 12. I keep thinking that well, Vidal no, no, no. is an ETB, not an attack. You're right. You actually get 13 because you wait for the uh, Blood Cult Covenant trigger to resolve before you stack it. <laughs> also, this was your three drop and I drew you a card. Um, so, the, two th- cards. This sounds oh, a little one bit card. absurd. Yeah. Yeah. This sounds a little bit absurd to begin with. But. Then you have to also consider that this deck, the champion card of this deck, was District of Artisans. Um, also banned. District of Artisans, which is also on the banned list. Uh, District of Artisans is another unraveling rare. With um, It enters the battlefield with a charge counter on it. You can't cast non-red spells. And you can pay red, tap it, and remove a charge counter to add red, red, red. So it is a turn two salt lamp. You can't use a turn one. That counts as a balancing factor. Um, but <laughs> come turn two, you can hit three mana, which makes for dull mana. Yeah, that nightmare scenario we were describing where it was thirteen damage, a four two, and a card draw, just all of that. That could happen turn two after turn one burn spell, or turn one uh, threat. Um, this you know this was far before we had access to cards like Banished Companion, but we still had some pretty scary one drops like Avatar of the Sot. Um, the other big thing that this deck did that was grotesque was it had access to the original peak point presence um peak point presence has seen a couple different iterations now but the original version was red red for a 2-2 with haste and when it entered the battlefield it dealt you two damage and added red red so you know those like highlight clips of either historic or old standards or eight wagon modern where someone just chains a bunch of peak uh, a bunch of Burning Tree Emissaries. That was this, but they all natively had haste. Um, this deck had multiple different ways to goldfish a turn three kill um, as an aggro deck. And I remember seeing some theorycrafted, but I don't think any actually happened where it could turn two kill. Again, in a burn deck. So Yeah, I, the theory the theorycraft is pretty straightforward, I think. You go District of Artisans, and then turn two mountain, and then you chain four peak points, and then Vidal... That's 12. And then you get Kinkin. Wait. Uh, peak point presence 12, is 8. 16. Vidal is 12. Or Vidal is 13. That's 21 damage. That's yeah, the yeah. game. With the, <laughs> with blood, the blood cult coming. Yeah, with the blood cult in there. You get um, the 12 from Vidal. And that's assuming you didn't it have the turn 1 burn spell. You can actually get yeah. away with two fewer peak point presences if you start off by just scorching them turn 1. True. Um, I remember playing against that deck while I was playing Mono Black Villainy where I also had soul lands, and let me tell you, 
turn two villainy felt slow versus that deck. So that really says a lot. Yeah, because even when this deck misses those turn threes, it's still a standard burn deck that's going to be killing you turn four consistently. Yeah. Um, and it certainly had times where, like, oh, well, you fetch turn one and you used a pain line. Guess that means I now have turn three that, you know, I wouldn't have gotten otherwise because you cast a bolt for free. Um, yeah. Yeah, of of the decks on this list, that might be one of the ones that I just, like, I just don't want to even think about playing against because I feel like so much of the type of deck building I do is to respect aggro, and I feel like it would not have been enough. Like, a lot of these other decks, I can convince myself, like, no, no, if you had teched enough, maybe you could have beaten these, but I, I ran into that matchup with, like, basically nothing but removal and life gain, and I just got eviscerated. So... I, I just want to point this out but because all... it's funny more than anything. This is a deck that ran its Rogar's Frenzies in the sideboard because they were too slow to main deck. <laughs> yeah, that's a really yeah. good point to point out. And also, the, really... oh, sorry, the, you the deck also wasted four sideboard slots on Civilization's cost, so like it obviously didn't need the slots. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alright, so moving on to our next category, we have an archetype that's frequently just considered bad aggro, which is Tempo. Um, so our honorable mention is a deck that never got its chance to exist at a GP, um, but it had somewhere on the order of a 10-game win streak without a single loss in leagues, which was um, Rogue Flash using way cards. The primary way cards in question of that deck were uh, one mana by the seat, and four damage, um, Void Flare. This also notably was before, uh, this is back when you could still Keen Dancer Imperial Sieges, so the deck post-board could just pawn the people out. Was the deck uh, running, and it just... uh, pre-nerf possibility engine, I think it is? Um, it might have been in the side, I don't think it did in the main deck. Um. Unfortunately, my knowledge of this deck is limited because it was back before I was playing any league, and like I was mentioned, it never came to a GP. Got yeah. to hit. Yeah, my knowledge here is also not particularly detailed. This is all on set, so. but on the I, it is fair oh, to say, like even without playing against it, like pre-nerf by the sea, pre-nerf void fair were both very good cards. Cane Dancer being able to grab burn spells and Imperial Sieges was also a very strong thing back in that time. So you can definitely visualize, even though you exactly. play against it, how this deck was absurd. Um, yeah, I'm in the process of trying to dig it up because it was before we used deck lists. Okay, yeah. Um, so, no, that's the blue... Okay, yeah. Uh, Rogue Tempo. Um... It also ran, now that's, you know, most of these cards haven't been nerfed other than the Void Flares, which it ran in the sideboard for some reason. That's dubious deck building. Gee. And yet it still won. Ten still won a run. lot. <laughs> and of course the Buy the Seas, which is a pretty real nerf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the deck has definitely, I, I, I don't think you could play anywhere close to it in the modern era, but I think if you just imagine all of the kind of bullshit starts you see the tempo decks get nowadays, but then imagine that sometimes 
they go turn one on the play. Here's my 1-1 one, one curiosity. And if you don't have a turn one play, they run, you know, 8 to uh, 16 copies of two mana counter magic or kill spells. It's really easy to just imagine how those games run away. I but, imagine it was running the uh, Portal Fracture. Yes. Uh, yeah. Very good Portal Fracture deck. Um, so that's our honorable mention template deck because it never had the, uh, you know, large scale success that the strongest deck in question did, which is um, Unraveling Bard Dragon Twin, which was a deck piloted by CFT Sock in uh, Grand Prix Sion. So there's a lot of words in this title. Uh, do either of you guys want to break it down? Uh, this was back when, if I remember correctly, this was back when Unraveling, instead of uh, freezing three target lands, I think it didn't freeze all non-basics, something like that. Um, I believe this was, it was just all lands. So, okay, so froze all lands. And I think this was also back when Reprising Bard did not exile the spells. That's right. Yeah. It, it... <laughs> so you would then use Reprising Bard and good old Granny to flicker Reprising Bard every turn and unravel every turn to keep them from getting any land on taps ever for the rest of the game. That's one of the things the deck did. Notably. <laughs> That's one of the things. That was the one that got people the most tilted. There's also, of course, just your basic Fire Shaper Adept Kinkin combo and general uh, Suzume monument value. Um, in particular, using the... Suzume to repeatedly play Imperial Artisans to brainstorm every turn. <laughs> because those used to cost two mana. Um, the deck also got to run Seek Prophecy back when it binned the other cards, so you could turn one Seek Prophecy bin the Unraveling, turn two, play out your uh, Reprising Bard, Exile Unraveling, turn three, you play Suzume, and not only can you freeze down lands, the other thing that we haven't been talking about is you can also just bounce the guy to counter their spells. Yeah. So, and in fact, if you have the mana to do it, you can on your turn freeze their lands, then replay the Bard, and then on their turn counter any spell that they manage to play via an untapped land. So, and from correctly, this was back when Granny didn't have any of her current restrictions. I think yeah. she could, I think she could bounce the same card any number of times, and she could bounce herself. The first one, no. The second one, yes. Um, okay. The the first one was a nerf that happened within a couple months of her entering the format. But okay. Also, well, this is but she could bounce herself the least, least of the nerfs this deck had. <laughs> this deck was running Prying Inquiry back when it didn't cost you life. <laughs> Just. Incidentally. <laughs> and then Oh, that one you, life difference. And you could loop it with reprising I mean, bars. So the life actually did add up. Notably, you could loop it on their draw step. Hell yeah. Um post board, if you were a creature deck, it could board in three demo divisors back when they were a leave the battlefield trigger instead of a dies trigger to just repeatedly shoot all your opponent's creatures. And also, you know, versus control decks, you had Chigao, because we hadn't banned Chigao yet. Um, yeah. Any, anyone yeah. not familiar with Chigao, it allows you to, you know, once each turn, cast a creature card with the chosen name from your graveyard, which means you could cast your Pising Bard from the graveyard to recur your Darklands Charm or your Unraveling or anything. And, just, and of yeah, course, it also can trust like the, the control rest deck of the somehow... so. Yeah. Yes. So if your opponent somehow managed to get a kill spell down through Granny, you could just use Chigar to then ignore that entirely. Yeah. So, I that's one of the decks where 
I think that was towards the tail end of uh, yeah. I think I think I took a break from MSCM a few GPs after that, but that was one of the decks that really left an impression on me in terms of my. I looked at it and I was like, man this is an interesting dragon twin deck because it doesn't go all in on the dragon twin combo. Like it only had, it has very few ways of putting the combo together. And it turned out that the twin combo it had of like Kim Ken value stuff um, was nowhere near as powerful as the reprising bard uh, or sorry, the fire shaper stuff was nowhere near as powerful as the reprising bard stuff. Notably yeah. reprising bard plus Kim Ken also a combo. Um, because you attack with the reprising bard, the reprising bard enters you exile unraveling, you exile any of your cantrips, uh, and then end step, you cast the thing. So, <laughs> moving on to... Bit of a messed up deck. <laughs> yeah. So, as, you can, as you continue this gradient from aggro to tempo to control, slowly getting less aggressive, more uh, responsive. Yeah. Um, so our honorable mention is one that's very recent in the grand scheme of things, which is, going just back to Grand P Jakarta, we have Golden Glade 5 Color Control. So, this was a deck which had access to 8 uh, lands that it could have online turn 2, which produced 2 mana of any combination of colors. So, this meant that on turn 2, you could cast basically any interaction spell you wanted. Um... This was before Kahembo Old Dawn entered the format, so it didn't have access to Pithwelt, but it did have access to Demon Worthies, which it could cast turn three off of Basic Island, Northern Holdout, and Basic Mountain. Or sorry, not Basic Mountain, um, you know, Forest. It, it had an aggressively basic heavy mana base, which meant that land destruction, for the most part, wasn't that great against it. Um, Gateways did beat the deck at least once via uh, a bounding chaos storm abound some aggressive two drop or something but for the most part the deck's mana base was kind of just rock solid and just ran best in slot interaction in every single slot so turn one it could exit you turn two it had anti-magic which because it had these gold lands could counter any spell and then just it worked its way up the curve with a variety of finishers, uh, primarily Iviana uh, speaker. Was running two Iviana, or did it not run Iviana? And uh, Children of the Clouds is the primary. Uh, it was not main decking Children of the this Clouds. Also was... Children of the Clouds was the sideboard. Your your main win con was just a pile of good planeswalkers. Iviana. Um, it wasn't it was because you weren't Jakarta. playing the deck in Grand Prix uh, Jakarta, it was Grand Prix Irkutsk. Um, we just typoed. <laughs> Any, anyway. Um, anyway. Um, other than that uh, blunder, um, the deck pretty quickly had its uh, legs swept from it, though. Um, both in terms of the change to World's Way, which used to be an instant and dropped down to three mana, although it only draw, drew three cards, um, which usually meant that once it hit turn four, i.e. the mid-game, it would just start chaining through those and burying its opponent. Um, that became a sorcery speed card, which got changed again, um, and 
it also um sorry looking at the it also obviously lost its mana base with both northern holdout no longer being arkham's astrolabe but a land and uh golden glade no longer being able to produce different colors of mana um but the deck ultimately was doing something kind of recognizably fair for a control deck it was playing the best cards in all the colors but it was just playing good cards the next deck that we're going to talk about, uh, the strongest control deck that MSEM has ever seen, is a deck that definitely was not playing cards that you should reasonably be allowed to register in this format. Um, and the ban list slash uh, nerf list of uh, the uh, big May patch agrees with it. We're talking, of course, about Bug Dream Sight, and specifically the build that appeared in GPZ. Um i.e. <laughs> Grand Prix Zealous Navarazny. Thank you, Hermesy. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. Um, Cybers, one of the people on that... Sure, so... Uh, Do you want to talk Big about Big Room Control uh, was a, a deck basically built around its namesake card of Dream Sight Well, uh, which costs, you know, one generic... One hybrid green-blue, sorcery, shuffles five cards you own from outside the game into your library, and then it draws you five cards. If you have at least 100 cards in your library. So as long as you're willing to just play enough cards, you get a two-mana draw five that also lets you sideboard in the middle of the game. And as we, we saw in actual Wizards of the Coast standard... If, you're, if you have enough good cards in the format, playing a bigger deck doesn't actually inconvenience you that much. And notably, the thing that the deck got away with back then, that it can't get away with anymore, is it also used to have a terrifying amount of redundancy. Um, for instance, Grave Tutor used to just exile a single card, which meant that you had something that was damn near close to Demonic Tutor in your 140-card deck, and between running four copies of that, four copies of Ancestral Council, four copies of your tutor target, uh, four copies of Contra Realities, and also uh, four copies of Mystic Arts, you had a ridiculously high percent chance to find any given card in your deck within the first... Including cards from... Yeah. From your sideboard, because you could very easily chain (laughs) Tutor, find a Dream Sight Well, cast Dream Sight Well, draw a Tutor, Tutor for the sideboard card. Yeah. Uh, This is another question that I asked a bit before, but was this also back when Cane Dancer was not color-restricted? Correct. So you could Cane Dancer strike from Shadows as a very relevant line in this. You line. could also Cane Dancer Grave Tutors. Um, so your Cane Dancer... Yeah. Yep. And Prying and Quarties during draw steps. Um, you had... One of the other really notable things is Deadly Manipulation was a two-drop at this GP. <laughs> and also was legal. Yeah, um, that's a big one. It was also the playable. Two-drop, the the two-drop thing happened... The It, it became a three-drop the following GP. Um but only got banned several months later. But back when it was a two-drop, this also meant that basically your entire deck was two-drops. 
you had two drop tutors, two drop draw spells, uh, two drop counter magic, two drop kill spells, and two drop like engines, which just completely made Grave Tutor an even more busted card, especially because you could find it off of Ancestral Council. Um, and the fact that you could also just Mystic Arts on your opponent's end step and show them, do you want to give me Deadly Manipulation or do you want to give me um, Dream dream site well was one of those things where there's not a good choice there there's only bad decisions and i think this was also back in the day of seek prophecy dumping in the yard yep seek prophecy dumped into the yard the other very noticeable thing if you look at this deck list is that singularity's grasp was an instant also a two drop so in addition to all of this other stuff you could on your opponent's turn cast a board wipe that not only killed their small creatures but also blew up all of their rail lines and you could find it with all of the tutors in your deck and while pip has mentioned that this was ultimately not a terribly great plan i still want to bring attention to the fact that this deck also ran a com uh infinite <laughs> combo as a side thing uh with rahid study which is the archive where at the beginning of your upkeep you can put a card from your main deck on top of it and then like basically whatever card you want in the archive on top to draw it and the combo there was you could use dream site well to shuffle the reflected moment out of your sideboard into this study and then draw it every turn because reflected moment shuffles into your library yeah so, notably this was before reflected moment ate the shuffle it into its owner's main library change. yeah it was nerfed because of this even though Pip has since stated that it probably wasn't the most efficient plan so the thing you might notice is, wait, then what are you doing? You know, you, you, you look at it and you question, well, hold on. So you can take infinite turns, but you only have one draw per turn. What's happening? And so the answer gets stupider, which is you use raw hit study and you slowly, every single turn, you get to move one more card from your, uh, from your main deck into raw hit study. This is a loop you can demonstrate, which means after an, a hundred-ish turns, your library is now empty, and Rahit's study is full. Now, you start shuffling Reflected Moment back into your main deck, and drawing it from that main deck every turn. Then, using Rahit's study, you slowly rearrange your entire Rahit's study <laughs> library. Which means your study is now stacked with the perfect list of cards. In the exact order you want them. At this point, you stop taking turns, you draw the top card of the study, which is probably Dream Sight Well, you cast it, you draw five cards, you now have the top five best cards in the study, and you say, go. I'm curious, did yes! any opponents ever try and fight I played that? a game did where I executed actually, that combo. Did anyone Cyber make you... <laughs> Made a minor mistake in the execution of the combo, incidentally. And my, my opponent did fight through it. Um... And destroyed the raw heat stud. Uh, specifically, what I did is I did not start with the dream site well to draw five. So I, w- I was all I-, I passed the turn with a perfectly <laughs> stacked deck. All of the relevant threats on my opponent's board answered, and maybe three relevant cards in hand. And they proceeded to blow up the raw heat study and continue playing the game for another dozen or so turns with me. Not drawing whatever card I wanted, but drawing what I thought was the best card a dozen turns ago. I, I managed to get there, but it was surpri- <laughs> surprisingly close, despite having executed the combo. 
<laughs> Notably, you also had your entire library visible and the exact order of it visible. Absolutely miserable gameplay, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the things I do want to, like, also note about this deck um, is this was before we had a very important realization, or a couple very important realizations about the deck. So the deck actually got tuned further, even though um, it, it Deadly Manipulation got slightly nerfed, and then down the line, just the entire, the deck got a bunch of nerfs that, I wouldn't say gutted it, but definitely it is a shell of its former self, which makes sense, given we're talking about it as, like, the best control deck the format has ever seen. Yeah. But... Um, one thing that you'll notice is it doesn't main deck any stand unassailables, which, if you're familiar with later iterations of this deck, is shocking, because it turns out stand unassailable is a great card in this archetype, because even if it only buys you like a turn and a half versus an aggro deck, all this deck needs is time, because if this deck gets to hit all of its land drops and get to its mid to late game, it has a better and more powerful and more consistent engine than any other deck in the format. So later iterations realized one. Why weren't we playing four copies of Call for Gone Neons? And two, why weren't we main decking some number of stand unassailables? Um, I think this was also the deck that put stand unassailable on the map, which is kind of funny. Because during, during the sideboarding of this deck, I remember talking with Sai about how good RFE was. And I was like, do we have any other options for, like, uh, for, for revelations we could board in? Um, and the answer was... Oh, hey, here's a two-drop No, that's not what it life. was. We were looking aggro. for a two-drop life gain spell. We weren't even thinking about revelations. It was just, oh, we wow. need something that we can grave tutor up, that we can recur with Cane Dancer, and that gains us life so we can beat the aggro decks. <laughs> that's amazing. I think after its yes. success, I was curious about more revelations, and there was a hot second where... We considered some of the other revelations, but quickly came to the conclusion of let's not. We got shockingly close to playing. Uh, uh, which, what is it called? Pained Ascension and cons Consigned Oblivion both got shockingly close to that deck list. I also think Suborn Humanity's works was a topic of conversation for a solid couple minutes. Um. If you don't recognize any of the cards, cards, there's a reason why. Yeah, I, I've been, I have been badly typing those. They're really. The I mean, right okay, now. all of those cards. <laughs> if you have played any Rail War Limited, you have recognized those cards because you've been losing to them because they're all kind of overtuned and limited. But they're not constructed cards. <laughs> yeah, if I ever had to play against some, if I ever had to play against Born Humanities Works in Limited, I would stop playing Limited. Uh, is my is my strong stance here. Um, but yeah, in general, Bug Dream Sight is a profoundly messed up deck, and anytime you see a good Dream Sight deck in the modern era, like, well, these are not... Uh, w one of these decks is a stretch to call a good deck, which is uh, Villainy Dream Sight, uh, <laughs> and then the other one is the uh, Kruger Control, which is the Dream Sight combo control deck. Yeah. Every time you see them resolve a Dream Sight, you're like, Wow, that seems broken. Just consider that the cards that are in that deck that it's drawing to are nowhere near as powerful as Dreamsight used to have access to. Because I think that was that was one of the big selling points that I preached about Bug Dreamsight was the card quality in that deck was so high, you saw literally 
no effective loss when you, in terms of going to 140 cards over 60 cards. Yeah, the the deck still had game on the when it wasn't even getting the dream sites. Uh, really, not nearly yeah. as much game, but it was still a fully functional deck without right, the but... draw, without the free draw, <laughs> not free, but the two yeah. meta draw fives. If it's one of those things where, like, if you look at it on paper and you're like, okay, well, let's say it doesn't draw its dream site wells and its tutors, what is it drawing? The answer is basically, if it doesn't get flooded, it's just drawing all of the best control spells in the format and like RFEs and these other ways of just kind of rolling people over. Um, I won very few games where I didn't resolve any dream sites, but I did win some number of games. The ones where you resolved a deadly manipulation, Um, but no dream sites were usually also not particularly difficult. (laughs) Yeah, no, those were also trivial. Um, There was a matchup where I had to just basically never cast my dream sites because my opponent had access to refracted thoughts. Um, And it still was an absurd... that deck was just bizarre because it felt like it could not lose control mirrors and it also felt very hard to beat as an aggro deck. And I'm not sure how you would beat it as a mid-range deck. And it was one of those things that whenever I started doing matchup analysis for it, my conclusion was basically you have to be on a combo deck that beats a handful of counter magic that never runs out. <laughs> um, and I faced several combo decks in that deck's lifetime and basically none of them with the exception of Casino Scam because that deck was a villainy deck with a bunch of hand attack and a combo. Base- and th- that turns out to be the nightmare matchup for this deck. Yeah. Um, yeah. But basically none of the other combo decks I played against felt like actively bad matchups, including like Landstorm, which is was one of the better combo decks of the time. Were there any good tempo decks at that time? No. It definitely benefited from the lack of good tempo. Yeah. Um, because it was a lot of sorcery speed spells, but it had enough instant speed interaction that I wouldn't be willing to write co- uh, tempo off as like a nightmare uh, matchup. Just I, like, I, yeah, I think Honestly, it'd be unfair. I think there's a good tempo yeah, deck. Again, looking at you know the other decks that we're looking at, I would be terrified to play against Dragon Twin on Bug Dream Site. <laughs> oh, I, I, yeah, okay. I think that would be like a. <laughs> I don't know 80, how you win 20, that. Eighty matchup. That, that that's not that's not a matchup that exists. Um, you, you can't do it. It's going to be really ugly. Um, those those are going to be games that you rate home saying, "Yeah, I don't, I don't think that was a real game of magic that just happened, but it certainly happened." Um, but moving on, after we have wax poetic about this deck that uh, two out of three of us very clearly miss a lot, um, we're getting on to mid range. Um, both these mid range decks have a lot in common um, because, in many ways. Our honorable mention is kind of the post-ban slash nerf version of the other one. So let's talk about Savage Bant. The dying gasp of the main one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meaningful, the dying um, gasp is still on this list as an honorable mention. Yeah. So Savage Bant uh, tore up Grand Prix Okinawa um, with as a mid-range deck with a infinite combo that wasn't actually an infinite combo, or sorry, that wasn't deterministic. Um, The JN special. Yeah, the JN special. Um, Cyber, I think you played against this deck the most, so if you want to talk about it. Yeah, okay. (laughs) This deck... So... (sighs) 
Pant Savage. Pant Savage as a deck was on on one level. If you take out all of the most broken things from the deck, it's a deck that plays, you know, mana dork into a mana dork or some interaction into a snowfield mother keeps going along those lines and kills you. And that, even if you, the deck isn't doing any of the broken things, that still wins games. Which means that, you know, you, you can't just deal with all of the other things I'm about to tell you and assume you've got the win. I have played decks that could deal with everything but the Snowfield Mother plan and still just got run over by Snowfield Mothers coming down on turn three. But it also got to play Devoted Druid, the, uh, the actual canon card Devoted Druid, which was in this format for a while for various reasons. Um, alongside uh, Arushi, the Ripple in the Smoke, um, which is a clone for white and a blue that is an enchantment instead of a creature. So it copies a creature, but it isn't a creature, which means that you can untap it as many times as you want with Devoted Druid, if it, if it is a copy of Devoted Druid, and it won't die. So you get as much green mana as you want. It also ran Savage Congregation, which... Which version of Savage Congregation did this deck run? I cannot remember where in the nerf history this deck lives. It's the... It it's was the one where the unferocious version was something with power four or less, and the ferocious version was um, up to four creatures with total Thank power you. four. So, Savage Congregation, if you had ferocious, which, for example, Snowfield Mother could get you, or Helvala. Or Helvala. This or that's Helene. right. This was also a Helvala deck as part of the sort of run you over plan. It could tutor up that combo. But even without it, it could tutor up, you know, a Snowfield Mother. The one piece of the combo was missing. It was still a, a versatile tutor. But that's not all the deck was doing. <laughs> Once it had infinite mana, it could use Warded Tome to draw its deck, as Warded Tome is still used to do today once you have infinite mana. It's... it's I mean, it's also use. a cantrip. That's all it does. <laughs> um, and once it drew its deck, it could use Pocket Aces to shuffle in another combo from its sideboard. And this is where things got... And yes, this is where perfectly. things got yep. a little awkward. Um, so it shuffled... So, brief other note. Brief. Pocket Aces, back in those days, didn't used to have... Could be any four cards. It didn't used to have the same name clause, which meant you could mix and match For example, a bunch of you could shuffle in point. an Elixir of Immortality. A Sigil of Ravenwood. Um... And a, those were the only. And you, you brought in a publicly disgraced. To. So, oh, so you use the publicly disgraced to silence right. your oh. opponent on the off chance they have disruption that didn't stop 
the rest of the combo up till here, but does stop the loop, just to be safe. Um, and then you start looping Sigil of Ravenwood and Elixir of Immortality. <laughs> what Sigil of Ravenwood does, because I as assume that most of us have forgotten about this card, <laughs> is it's an artifact, comes into play, draws you a card, you sacrifice it, you mill each person one card, and then you draw a card. Well, you surveil each person one, and then you draw a card. And what you could do is alternate sacrificing the Sigil of Ravenwood um, and using the Elixir of Immortality to shuffle it and the Sigil back. Except you couldn't quite always do this because you had to draw them in the right order. Like, basically the case was like, it technically did work in terms of like, if you didn't draw them in the right order, you could use Word of Tome when you infinite. And then use the Elixir of Immortality to shuffle them the both. The issue back was in. it meant that. Yeah. So, like, on that level, you could technically go through it over and over again. The issue was the line that you did each time could be different depending on the order they're shuffled in. Sometimes you got Ravenwood first, dropped it, and it drew the Elixir, no need for Word of Tome. Other times, Elixir first, and you had to use Word of Tome to draw the Elixir. What that meant was that at any given point, you couldn't 100% declare with certainty where you were in the combo, which meant it wasn't a perfect loop. So technically, the deck's win con didn't work by tournament rules. If I've got that right. That is correct. Yeah. Um, and for anyone who's saying like, well, that seems like a technicality, I'm going to pose a scenario, which is, let's say you're a deck that utilizes your graveyard. Um, and you want to get specific cards into your graveyard. Maybe you have deadly manipulation or whatever. And then you want to interact while the elixir is in their library. Because, you know, that's when they're at their most vulnerable or whatever. In tournament rules, you should, you have the right to say, cool, I want to interact at this stage in the combo when I have this much of my graveyard milled. What does the board state look like at that point? And the truth is, the player of this deck couldn't actually tell you. That's not an answer they can give. Um, and that's why, under tournament rules, this deck should not have been legal. Um, but it's one of those things that it came up really near the end of the tournament. Um, and I don't remember exactly how it went down, but I remember the gist of it. Because that's before I was a judge. So I wasn't really following most of the conversation. But my basic understanding was that uh, Wendy, our judge at the time, was somewhat overruled. Um, but I can't speak for certain. The other thing, as I'm looking, as I'm looking at this deck, yes. This so I, I didn't get done listing through all the things the deck could do. The deck also could steal your lands with temporary treason. Notably, could do that on turn two after turn one, mana set turn two, steal your fetch land. Let's say um, when it. When it comboed off, it also ran a one of Thorn Keeper of the Wilds, um, which meant that if you were relying on being able to kill one of its creatures, you couldn't. Um, because Thorn and, meant that all those creatures. Yeah, had it also high ran three mana draw it fives. Had you know, not studies, quite as efficient like, as Dream Sight's two mana draw fives, but. 
I think one of the most offensive things about this deck is the fact it kept the third Savage Congregation, sorry, the fourth Savage Congregation and half of its arty studies in the sideboard. Just like... Oh, also, the, this was pre-nerf no arty study. Here. This is not the arty study that we have today. Oh, right. This was arty studies where it costed one, one generic, two green, archive five, and you could play the top card of the archive library if it was a permanent. Yeah, and three sorcery. A single instant. The other, the other thing is, oh yeah, true, true. The other thing is to talk about pocket aces and why it made this deck work the way it did. Is unlike a lot of infinite combos, it had this deck had very few bad cards in it. So, you know, warded tome, it's it's a cantrip. It's it's not good, but it replaces itself instantly and. Is a mana sink if you get to that point. Um, the mana combo, like devoted druid casting five mana worth of things on turn three, is still pretty good. And Rushi can find some neat little things to do, like you know, copying. Hovali isn't a good example, but you know, one of your opponent's creatures. Um, so the deck ran very few bad cards, and the only card it ran to enable this infinite combo that we're talking about is Pocket Aces. And Pocket Aces meant that it could keep the combo pieces in the sideboard. Uh, prior to this GP, we didn't know what its combo was going to be. Uh, we knew that it would draw its deck and have infinite green mana, but we didn't actually know how it was going to kill until sideboards were submitted. Um, and, you know, the fail case of Pocket Aces is one blue, draw a card. And again, that's not a good thing, but if you're a fair mid-range deck, the fewer, oh, well, this card's dead, I shouldn't have drawn it, type moments you have, the better. And that's why this deck was so insane. Yeah, because you, after you draw your opening seven, shuffling in those dead cards doesn't matter as much because you're not as likely to end up with them. And you're like, if you yeah. get the pocket aces on like turn four or something, you end up having to like cycle it basically and shuffle your combo in. You've already done most of the drawing you're going to do in this game, so you're not you're much less likely to draw those dead cards just put in. You also would just not cycle. Oh, sorry, you would just not shuffle in the sigil of Ravenwood because that's the only bad draw. Elixir for Mortality is fine, and if you shuffle Elixir in, then later right. you can crack uh, the Elixir to shuffle the Pocket Aces back. Also, that comment right, right, on sideboarding, this deck that. predates the current tournament rules for sideboards in MSCM. Sideboards were submitted separately from the main deck lists right. a day afterwards because there were few enough players that sideboarding against an unknown metagame didn't really work because there, there wasn't a metagame. There was, you know, a dozen people with their own mm -hmm. decks of choice. Um, which meant that this deck also, just in general, it, it meant that this deck both had the benefit of knowing what decks it was playing against when it determined what its combo should be, while also simultaneously no one knew what its combo was going to be. Um, so no one could, like, put a Taraka no Oni in their sideboard. Um, Reasonable people don't put Taraka no Onis in their side. <laughs> Plenty of people certainly you did here. previously against <laughs> mill-based combo decks. So, uh, <laughs> correct. But you know, we just talked up a lot about this honorable mention. So, what's the strongest mid-range deck that we've ever seen? Well, I would like to invite you back to Grand Prix Hong Kong, so we can talk about Underworld Cookbook, um, otherwise known as the guys... Rock. Do either of you guys remember? What yeah, the it's the lightning axe flavor text. It's 
Yeah, it's the really long name that starts with uh, like an A. Also, the something. really it's an okay. alpha card. Anyway. Also, that Lightning X is referencing, I think, but I don't remember what card that is. Yeah, it's the something rock. I want to say R O C. Uh, like anyway. Um, so what is uh Underworld Cookbook? Well, we were just explaining how Savage Congregation was a five game spell that um if you had ferocious uh tutored four cards onto the battlefield uh total power four or less that's not what savage congregation did i'm sorry um you're you must be misremembering what savage congregation did was it grabbed any number of creature cards with total power four uh four or less and put them onto the battlefield yeah the specific of it was the base mode of savage congregation and this was i can't remember if this was four or five minutes time i think it was five it was five but the base mode was search library for any number of creature cards with total power four or less and put them into your hand. If you control a creature with power four or greater, you went straight to the battlefield instead. So um, imagine this, the similar combo potential of the one we're talking about for Savage Band, but its failed case was you just put like those seven or eight cards straight into your hand and then cast them normally. Um, no, so this was the GP after that one. Oh, <laughs> Why are we grabbing this one then? Why are we not grabbing the one where you put eight cards in your hand on the failed case? Because this one was actually arguably better than that, because <laughs> this one had refined the combo slightly. Even if its combo aspect was worse, ah. it was a much stronger mid-range deck. Um, the the old one, the the other thing that Hersey uh, is is noting, also meant that you could discard the extra cards because, you know, maximum hand size. And then on your opponent's upkeep, you could use Manifest Memories, which back then was uh, not an X spell. It just did all of the creature cards in your graveyard and kill your opponent on their upkeep for, you know, white, white, green, green, and three. Um, but this build was... Also notably, it didn't need the white, the, the white thing that on we... hand. It exiled Mana Aesthetics to pay for that. <laughs> oh my yes. god, I saw that was... Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, this is... Right. Okay, another note. This is back when Mana Aesthetic... I think it was... Tap to untap the land, and you could exile it no, in a land card. It was a reflecting to... pool, it's, right? It, it, it didn't untap land. So it t- yeah. it's a reflecting pool, okay. So you could tap that one so, mana. So, you know, it, it tapped for right. a mana you that ahead, for a, a land you could produce, could, could produce, but it also worked from your graveyard. You could exile it and a land card from your graveyard to make one mana of any color. So... This meant you could from use your graveyard. Lotus Petal. <laughs> um, and also, it was just an unboltable bird. If you went turn one mana aesthetic, your opponent couldn't kill your mana aesthetic to deny you a three drop because you could just exile it and your fetch land. Oh, look, here's my three drop. Um, if you think this sounds <laughs> bullshit, we haven't actually gotten to the combo yet. So the thing that made Vance Savage good, as we talked about, was its, its combo plan. You know, all of these cards were reasonable on their own. The thing that made Underworld Cookbook scary is all of its combo cards gained life. Which meant Agrodex could not beat this deck. Um, the fastest Agrodex in the format at that point could not beat the deck's ability to go turn one mana dork, turn two Master Chef, which made two tokens, which could then chump block and then each be sacrificed to gain three life. Yeah, so, three life each. So you effectively gained six life and fog two attackers. Um, and then on top of this, you also ran Blessed Spell Roots in the main deck, you ran Snowfield Mothers, you ran all of this life gain. And you'll be saying, wait, hang on a second, is this some sort of, like, Soul Sisters deck? Like, what's the kill here? 
And I would like to invite you to remember. <laughs> so, if you played, which Ravnica had this card? Um, or the functional version of this card? Return uh, to Ravnica. Block. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Return to Ravnica block. If you played Return to Ravnica Limited, you might recognize the card we're about to describe. This was a angel-themed version of the same effect, exact effect. It's a 2-2. Two, two. Two, Whenever you gain life, 2-2? Two, two? Okay, 2-2. Yeah, two, two, two. Two. Each opponent loses that much life. Uh, pay 3 life, tap it, flip a coin. If you win the flip, you gain 6 life. Um, the fail case on that card kind of sucks, let's be honest. But... Because all of your life gain stuff is happening by the instant speed sacks, it was impossible to interact with this deck once it resolved Savage Congregation. And even if you could have, hypothetically, all of its creatures had hexproof because of Thorn. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 the deck, so, like, to be clear, this deck would do the combo and would gain, I think it capped out at, like, 36 life. And then, by, via Vault Savior, would then. This deck was also running pre nerf Cunning Cephalomancer. Which is a 1 1 with what? 1 1 right. with which lifelink for 1. Whenever you sacrifice a mm -hmm. permanent, you can pay a mana. If you do, you draw a card, you lose a life. Which means all of its fetch lands can trip. So. And whenever it sacrifices a creature to Master Chef, it cantrips. And we haven't even gone to the fact that this got to play unnerved uh, Dark Right Cultist. I don't even remember what unnerved Dark Right Cultist was. It's been it so didn't, long. It didn't used to have to tap. <laughs> oh, right, God. So. Dark Red Cultists didn't have a window to interact with it if they played it with another mana up. Which meant this deck also had the ability to enable... I know it could enable turn 4 Savcons really easily. I think it could enable turn 3 Savcons. It had a turn 3 Savcon line. You, uh, you sacrificed a mana setup to Dark Red Cultist. Yep. Alright. So, and as we mentioned, Dark Red Cultist makes a 5-5 five five that turns on Savage Concreation. Whoops, there's the combo. You're dead. And also, the fair plan is, cool, here's a 5-5 five, five flying. Answer it. Um, here's my 4-4 four, four snowfield mother. Answer it. The deck was really good at just presenting threats its opponents had to answer. While gaining enough life, aggro couldn't run it down. While also having this combo kill that meant mid-range decks couldn't outfare it. Um, it did everything Savage Bant did, but faster in a way that was harder to interact with and had fewer fail cases. Yeah. Um... Oh, right, I forgot that you could actually... Could you... Okay, you could actually free Dark Rate Cultist functionally, because the card you yes. discarded could also be a mana aesthetic. Jesus Christ. Shout <laughs> 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 mana aesthetic. And also, just like, at insult injury, it also ran Crowd of Corruption, so it could just recur everything. It had multiple ways to recur everything if it needed to. It was did, not have Sangjin. Did it have the full Cradle of Corruption combo? Okay. The full Cradle of Corruption combo, for those not in the know, well, minus the Pinnacle of Vicar, basically, you kind of have to go pretty far to do that. But using Sangjin means that when Sangjin hits the field, it recurs the Cradle of Corruption, which meant you reanimate your entire graveyard and you didn't even use up the land, which in future decks, this one didn't take advantage of it. You could effectively loop sacrificing your battlefield um <laughs> anyway <laughs> so underworld cookbook is a fairly messed up deck 
Um, the next deck that we're going to talk about isn't actually a messed up deck on its own. I think most MSEM decks that are well-tuned nowadays could actually beat it fairly handily. The thing is, it was packing a lot of cards that were very far, or <laughs> let's be honest, it was packing a single card that outstrips the power level of most of the cards we have talked about. Yeah. Um, so, Cyber, tell us about your second place finish in Grand Prix <laughs> Dubai, the fourth so, so MSEM GP that ever happened. To be clear, this is, before you go into this, this to be clear, this is honorable mention. Yeah, program. so back in the yeah, very early days of the format, you know, before we had a website. <laughs> Before we had to, so you're not going to have a particularly easy time finding this deck list because it's in the comments of an old challenge tournament. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, yeah. back at back in Grand Prix Dubai, um, I I played mono green ramp, and in particular, there was a certain powerful card which you might recognize as one of the relatively powerful ramp finishers in MSCM. Rock roll. Except the thing is, this isn't the rock roll you know. <laughs> so, rock. Uh, you, you know, for, in our day, the, the sort of bad half of rock roll. Two, two and two greens, you know, search your library for some basic land cards, put them onto the battlefield. Except it wasn't two basic land cards. It was a basic land card for each land you controlled. You know, the Boundless Realms, except four mana, and it has another card stapled to it. And that other card is Roll, you know? Sorcery may, makes 3-3 three, three elemental for each of your lands. Five mana, not six. And uh, just each of your lands. None of this sort of Oh, wanderlust count nonsense. No, you could be running just a pile of forests and get that many elementals. And yes, that is precisely Which what I did. Now, did. the rest of the deck was now, bad. Um, <laughs> embarrassingly bad, honestly. Uh, my, my staple, you know, one mana ramp spell was a actually a quite good card that I... I'm a little disappointed it doesn't see MSCM play anymore. Exploring the Mirror Worlds, it, it's an instant for one mana. It ramps each player. It's a, a rampant growth for you, a rampant growth for your opponent. For some reason, I only ran three of it. Um, I was also running you, mana aesthetics. You also ran mana aesthetics, though. But you also I ran no fetch, enough fetch lands to enable those consistently. I was running it because it was a one-drop mana. Oh, <laughs> Because repeat, this is this was also back um, when Manasek had the graveyard exile mode. Yeah, <laughs> but it made zero use of it. I, I was one of my other ramp sort of ramp finisher options um, was to use uh, Modric's Haven, which was Lotus Cobra on a three mana enchantment with a mana sink that mostly didn't matter, but I do think I killed someone with once or twice, along with Hermit's Travels, which is. A five-man escape shift with some other modes that only finds basics. To be a very expensive, very large mana ritual. Um, which I didn't have very much to actually do with that mana, but I could get a lot of mana. I had Wormscape, um, which is still in the format, 
you know, again, not a particularly good ramp finisher. Um, the best, the, the next best finisher in the deck after roll was actually Warden of the Fronds, uh, an indestructible three drop that had power equal to the number of forests you controlled. And I only bothered to run two of it. It was a bad, bad deck, but <laughs> it didn't matter because rock roll was that good. If you could play a rock roll on turn three, which this deck could pretty easily do, you won that game. If you could play a rock roll on turn four or turn five, well, there weren't a lot of really powerful decks in MSCM, so you probably won that game anyway. We didn't have a four mana board wipe yet. And obviously, if you had two rock rolls, it got really absurd because the first one would just do rock. Which would fuse rock and roll, one. doubling your lands again. And making you on the order of 23 three elementals. <laughs> yeah, uh, shout out. Who else forgot that rock roll had fuse? Because I totally did until this exact moment. Because I have never in my life seen someone fuse a rock roll. I always remember it, but that's because I was. I also want to shout out to my sideboard win con, <laughs> City Sprawl, which let you. I never actually got to oh, win off of a city sprawl but the sort of stupid dream plan of the deck was to rock into rock into city sprawl against decks that had board wipes to deal with the roll elementals um it was a dumb deck so i think yeah i think we should now get into the strongest pick for a ramp deck which might surprise some people because i think it's a deck that people were fairly, I th a lot more people played against this deck than some of the other decks we've talked about. But I do think it is genuinely the strongest ramp deck this format has ever seen, especially at a GP level. Um, and its consecutive second place finishes really show that off. Um, which is uh, Augur's Leyline Alignment Field Angel Touched. Um, so if you're around in current MSEM, Leyline Alignment Field should be a very familiar name. Um, nowadays it's being used to power up Valiers and do some other kind of stupid things. But back in these days, it was stupider, actually. Um, it was harder to enable because you didn't have the ability to cycle, uh, five draw, uh, you know, five color creatures. But you had, uh, the ability to loot them away with Unquenched Greed, which you could cast very easily off your Angel Touch lands. And then, on turn Notably, two, it was one and tap, five draw. not two and tap. <laughs> exactly <laughs> um this deck got to the uh finals of grand prix what was grand prix s the first time around san was it san fran no it wasn't uh i uh, can check it out was it 2019 february 2019 it should be is this a... yeah it's be february 19 so that'd be grand prix st gallon st gallon um it got to the finals um, I was I played against it on Mono Black Villainy, um, and I only won because Augur missed a onboard trick. Um, but then the following GP, it got to the finals. Um, notably, however, it lost to the first deck we talked, or one of the first decks we talked about here, which is Vidal Burn. Um, but the fact it took Vidal Burn to Game Three, despite the insane speeds we were talking about here, should really give a sign of how busted this deck was. Um, I know I retired a couple of decks because just in playtesting, they could not come close 
to the insane starts angel touch this also probably has the highest um, band north density this... of any deck we're talking about mm-hmm. yeah which is because its entire mana base bar like one or two cards it also got a nerf or a ban um all of the angel touch lands are no longer it legal, also was running Leyline Leyline deadly manipulation um before the most recent round of deadly manipulation nerfs i'm pretty sure Yeah, that was right it after was running became Rain's death. Eye before Rain's Eye's Snakes Lost Death Touch. Oh, it was running. Oh, God. And back when it was a minus one. It was running Archive Guardian when Archive Guardian or... had a conjure cost of two instead of three. Jesus. <laughs> this deck was a nightmare to play control against, by the way. So that way to play anything against, like yeah, that's true. Um, I remember that basically my Saint Gallon games were only close when I had the uh, early Memento Moris, and uh, Augur quickly innovated, and um, Bahet's Penance just completely blew people out of the water if they were trying to hold this deck back by exiling its yard. Uh, Bahet's Penance is three mana. Discard your hand, oh. then purge five times. Four times. Then you gain four times. Um, then you gain life equal number of cards in exile, which means it would be three mana, draw four, because you usually didn't have any cards worth noting that you were pitching, um, and also you gained somewhere on the order of twenty life. Was it which able to it run really the ancient ossuary, or was this after the ancient ossuary nerf? This was, so uh, this it also was, had uh, instant speed, this was colorless, sylvan scrying. Uncounterable colorless Sylvan Scry. <laughs> yep. This was back when Ancient Ossuary was two mana? Yep. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> the only card in its mana base that. that didn't see a nerf was the one of Tesmo. Nerf or ban was the one of Tesmo. And honestly, Tesmo was still pretty gross in this deck. <laughs> like, it's not... It, it, it is the least offensive of the lands it ran. But that's kind of impressive, given that Tezmodo could, on turn three, hit like five or six-ish mana. Right? Turn three, or is it turn four? It's two and tap. So, it, yeah. It's two Tezmodo was doing the same thing yeah, Leyline so, was, but turn three yeah, instead turn, of turn, turn two. Yeah. Um, this deck also had starts where it had multiple Leyline alignment fields, which meant it would curve um, threat, usually Unearthed Legion, plus um, some interaction, into turn three, Soul of Iscathia, and then frequently copy a creature, giving it haste and flying with Soul of Iscathia, which killed people very easily. Um, it filled up its graveyard absurdly quickly and just powered through any interaction you wanted. Yeah. Um, so, we've and gone hey, through... That drives them the ward in the board. Shows oh, yeah. <laughs> Which um, is that, it's actually kind of surprising to me because that I guess fell off the map for a while until it got picked up by. Bahum's fallen off the map a couple of times. Yeah, um, which is weird because people just hasn't been nerfed or anything. Forget that Bahum is good, and then they show up like <laughs> four or five months later, and people, yeah, and just ruin everyone's day. 
Um, I've mentioned on this podcast before a couple of times that when Cyber and I were workshopping for a GP, we came to the conclusion that we were trying to figure out how we could be Bahat, and we came to the conclusion that it was actually impossible for us to do so. Um, and this was the deck where we had that conclusion, where all of the angles that I was able to think of to fight against uh, Angel Koch, Leyline, Alignment Field, Bahat just cleanly Not exiled Bahet. them. Different so, characters. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Bahum. Ba- Bahet's penance. That is also Bahum's penance. Scary part of that deck. Um, Bahet ba- 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 yeah. is Wait, the deity also? that Bahum yes. worships. This is not confusing. This is confusing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did it run any Bahet cards? You are completely or imagining or things. completely imagining things. There's, yeah, there's, only like two, there's only like two Bahet cards, both of which are garbage. There's, there's the balance god, and then there's like uh, four mana murder that fetches you a land. Uh, there, there's also the, the one mana 2-2 nice. two, two death touch. Sorcery speed murder. Conditional. Oh, right, that. Okay. Um, okay. So, my laptop, which had the Google Docs, just died. So, one of you lead us into the combo section, which we've been saving for last. So, going into our honorable mention for the combo section is the one that we still give Kajun flack for designing. Uh, this is the Collapsed Mind combo from Grand Prix Quebec City. So to be careful why we're giving Kajun flack for this is because this is the deck that used the intentional loophole on Collapsed Mind where it could target itself with its exile and then immediately come back into play and then exile itself again over and over again and for four mana, I think, yeah, four mana at flash speed, you instantly got infinite enchantment ETBs and LTBs. Which gets complicated further by the fact that Harvest Festival was one of the newest sets in the format. Um, wait, no, that's not true. Was this, the, this was later. Sorry, I got my timings confused. But the important thing was it had access to Reflect on Serenity. Um, Reflect on Serenity is white, black, two, it shows up every so often in enchantment deck still. Um, and it has on enchantment fall or enchantment LTB, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. It also happens to uh, recur an enchantment on each of your upkeeps, which means you can recur dark bargains to keep drawing cards. You can recur serene prayers to lock your opponent out of damage. It also conditions. got a backup. The deck um, just got effectively thrown. an additional mm-hmm. four copies of Reflect on Serenity in the form of Writing Wonders, which gives you a glory counter on Enchantment ETB. This deck had so many different ways of just abusing the synergies inherent in the deck. And as mentioned, if the failed case of Collapsed Mine, you know, on the one hand, it could be a turn, uh, turn four Splinter Twin because you ran Enchantment-based ramp. Um, or, you, you didn't know, even need the ramp. You could just go like white and wonders into oh, right, because right oh, wonders that was a turn three three, kill then yeah you could yeah, turn three you kill could, you could turn three kill with the writing wonders you could turn four kill with uh, the, it uh, had notably reflect on serenity one mana prismatic the, the line rather than one. two mana prismatic lines so it had a turn one enchantment based ramp stuff. yes um, this deck also just you know when one of your combo pieces is also just a serviceable O ring that kind of changes the dynamic of how your deck gets to play. Because in 
matchups where you're not trying to just go for the combo as fast as possible, you can just fire off your O-ring in the early game because you're going to kill them later. It's not an issue. You can find a second collapse mine. It got to run Artie's um, study as a draw five because it ran, also... again, all permanents plus some rock rolls. These, notably, are not because the rock rolls was... that I talked about from Mono Green <laughs> rock roll. This is... Now, yeah, these are nerfed rock rolls, but it's still just... You know, might as well just throw this totally unrelated... This is today's rock roll, but as a five drop on the side, to to I believe? Correct. Probably, yeah. Um, this deck has an additional layer of salt in my heart, because before this GP, Jan and I were talking and brewing, and Jan was originally planning on bringing... Um, a Abzan Artie style deck because I'm pretty sure it had like just won the Pro Tour or the Pro Tour had been fairly recently and that deck was really high profile. Um, and I've been experimenting a bit with Collapsed Mind combo. But I was willing to admit that JN was a better deck builder than me. And I was like, look, if you're high on the Artie's deck, why don't we trade decks? I have this Collapsed Mind deck that I've been messing with. Um, you know, I'd, I I could take crack at that Ari's list so both of us took the other person's deck we each tuned them a little bit uh jn played to the strength of um the serene prayer lock more i think i only ran one serene prayer if that and i think mine may have i ran two serene prayers in the sideboard i think whereas jn decided those should be in the main deck <laughs> um and i in fact went one to drop horribly while jn won the gp with the deck um so and that was the only <laughs> GP where collapsed mine was legal. <laughs> um, it also had a fairly fraught history in terms of um, nerfs slash bans. Or sorry, nerfs rather. The council was incredibly divided as to whether or not we should completely kill collapsed mine, if we should neuter it, what we should do. Um, before In the pre-GP patch, when it was down to the wire, we released a nerf for it, which was we made it so it couldn't unintentionally draw games. Um, or sorry, rather intentionally, I guess. We, the, we made it into a you may exile something so that on an empty board you could not cast Collapse Mine as a this game is a draw, we're going to go to the next game uh, mode, because we were like, that's bad gameplay. Um, but we decided to let it run for this GP because one the person who had discovered this combo was very new to the format and very excited about it. Um, and we prioritized uh, trying to help retain a new player, and we weren't sure how the, good the deck was going to be. So we decided to give it this one GP, and fairly quickly regretted that decision, I would say. Yeah. Um, as one of the people who voted to keep I want to say, that was not my um, fault. I wasn't on the council yet. <laughs> <laughs> one good thing that did, come from, that did come from this combo deck, though, is, so I mentioned that Collapse Mind was intentionally designed to do that infinite loop thing. But when we found out about it and we did the pseudo nerf where we couldn't draw a game, we also in the process found out about like, I think it was like three or four other O-ring effects that accidentally did the same thing. I think it was closer to six. Uh, several of them were incredibly unplayable, but it turns out MSEM designers were just really bad at remembering to add another to their O-rings. Um, yeah. Banisher priests, we had, a we had either one or two banisher priests that were missing another's um. Yeah, there there were a lot of changes that had to happen. Yeah, um, so 
the one upside of this combo deck appearing was that it did help us fix up a bunch of leaking holes in our templating. Yeah. So let's talk about the last deck. And I think oh, if you yeah. know your MSCM history, when we mentioned we were talking about the strongest stacks and when we said the combo deck was last, I think most of you knew which deck it was going to be. Um, so let me paint you a picture of uh, a wonderful month of July. Uh, two new sets had just entered the format, one of which was Aralu, which you know had had a good run in Custard up until that point. And the other of which was Memoriam Arcanum, finally joining its, uh, you know, sibling Carpe Arcanum in MSCM. Um, and that month also happened to be the Pro Tour, um, which people had been hyped about for, you know, the past several months. Uh, the last Pro Tour had been this incredibly exciting event. Um, and this Pro Tour was, you know, shaping up to be no different with eight of the best uh, MSCM players ready to play in it, as well as just a really exciting GP. Um, but we did make we did make a couple of changes to the incoming sets right after they'd been accepted right at the start of the month or right before the start of the month. Um, and one of those changes we didn't think all the way through. So Hersey, why don't you tell us a little bit about a deer and survivor? So I forget the card I replaced this with. It was through pain and tour. I don't what it did. doesn't matter. It was an enchantment that you could pay two minutes to make enchanted creature indestructible until end of turn. Garbage card. Got rid of it. I <laughs> added it. I added Adirin Survivor instead. So this version of Adirin Survivor, the one that was back then, was a one-drop. It was a 2-1-1 drop and enter the battlefield tapped. And it had the effect where whenever you sacrifice another permanent, if it was in your graveyard, you could pay one life to bring it back to the battlefield. And I was thinking, you know, just your classic like grave crawler, grave crawler-esque effect. One of Black's classic 2-1 recursion cards. But what quickly became apparent was after a few days, Augur realized that there was like a turn three kill you could do with it that was semi-consistent. That was a few days in. And then the combo got refined in time for both the GP and the Pro Tour to become like a semi-consistent turn two kill and a very consistent turn three kill. And since it was working via sacrifices at instant speed, it dodged a hell of a lot of removal. <laughs> Notably, notably, it did cross our plate when it came to nerfs. But since nerfs for GPs need to be locked in like a couple of days in advance, we heard about the deck when we heard it sometimes killed on turn three. Right. We heard about like the of like an inconsistent version of the combo deck. We're like, oh, that's a bit worrying, but it seems to be fine. We can probably handle this. We, the, we, we the, decided to let it run for a month. Yeah, then the pre-G patch hit, and then like a day later or so, people were like, oh, actually, we can just make this absurd. We can make this so, dodge almost all removal. We can make this a turn two kill. It has tutors it can play on curve. Like, and that was known yeah, before so a couple the other GP things started. Um, it was known before the GP started, and it was very much known before the Pro Tour. Um, yeah. Anyone who went into the Pro Tour went in with tech for this deck, and it did not matter. Um, like, most of the decks that text to try to beat this deck still died to it. Um, ultimately, the version of the deck... Oh, at the same time, notably, another infinite combo had been discovered in this same archetype. Um, this infinite was not good enough for the pure Adiran decks to run, but it used the very new board wipe of Vibrant Rapture and combined it with the Parted Evangel and any sack outlet 
to create infinite death triggers. Um, you would pay one life in the process, but as long as you hit a, um, as long as you had a blood artist at some point in time, which the deck ran eight copies of. Yeah, your opponent was dead. Nothing they could do. So that was another deck that was on people's radar. Um, ultimately, the finals of that Pro Tour ended up being the more fair version of the Adiran build versus a Enchantress combo deck. Um, that oh, was not really on anyone's radar. Um, but And for people who were around the time, the kill with the deck, so it should become pretty clear that, like, obviously, if you have two Redeeran survivors and you sack one, you can recur the other one from the graveyard and loop them that way, paying one life right. each time. So the combo kill was, one, you can just do a sack outlet with, like, Blood Artists. That was the slower version. The fast version was a call, card called Devouring Flame, which was a one-drop that had Menace, and you could sacrifice a creature to give it plus two, plus zero, time of turn. I forgot what the Menace part, so not only does this deck dar- dodge yep. most removal, you also had to have two bodies down before it went off to try and block it. And again, and it turn was, two kill. It, yeah, it could do that to you if it was on the play. You would have had one turn to try to create two bodies, which, good luck. Self-replication plus uh, real lines was not in the format. <laughs> um, to my knowledge, there was not a one mana create two bodies. Uh, uh, was Seed Call? There was just, that? We didn't have any of that kind of stuff. We had the zero drop one one, but like, if you're running that, that's a, sure. that's yeah. a poor plan. <laughs> Something else has gone wrong. Um. The the other thing that we're dodging around, um, one of the most offensive cards in this deck, arguably more offensive than Adiran Survivor, in my opinion at least, which is not a good opinion. Um, this deck, in addition to all of the linear stuff it could do, also got to run Unmasker of Fate's design. Right, yeah. Unmasker of Fate's design is a one mana 2-1 that, on ETB, you got to look at your opponent's hand and basically lock one of the cards in their hand behind a clue. Um, this meant that in addition to all of the unfair starts it had, you know, if you tried to answer the combo, it could sometimes just go, I think Augur had a game versus me where she went turn one on Masker, turn two on Masker, a Deeran survivor, and then just never found the combo piece, but just beat me to death with all these two ones while the cards in my hand were just torn to shreds. Um... This deck also ran uh, Ag of Avarice, which was the on-curve tutor we were talking about. Yeah. Which is two mana artifact um, with tap, sack a creature, tutor a one-drop from your library onto the battlefield, which notably found Adherent Survivor, um, it found Devouring Flame, and it found the Unmasker. It also sacrificed a creature, which meant that if deer was in your graveyard, it wasn't in your graveyard anymore. It was on the battlefield. This also could... happened before we had access to good, cheap exile removal or tuck removal, and the best removal in the format was either A, Burn Spells, or B, was Axion and Memento Mori. You might notice something about those two. They happen to say, target player, or each player, sacrifices a creature. Yeah. <laughs> a Deer and Survivor would come back. So now you have to find a way to try to kill their creature. And even the Devouring Flame combo we were discussing there were technically windows where there would be a devouring flame on the battlefield with no adherence survivors, but you, you know, it would have had to be right then and there. Um, and even in that circumstance, if you do edict the devouring flame, they just bring back both survivors and they're like, okay, cool. 
I'm now going to beat you to death with these four power worth of creatures uh, you cannot interact with. I, I was with. glancing through the other Pro Tour deck lists. People were main decking Sigil of Radiance, Memento Mori, Seal the Tomb, Corpse Bed. There was so... Obliterating Blast. There was so much main deck blast. Grave Hate in the Pro Tour, and it did not matter. <laughs> yeah, Adherence Survivor decks, I think, ended up... Uh... The two Adherence Survivor decks that were in the Pro Tour both ended up in the top four. Yeah. Um, and one of them won. So it's... <laughs> it That deck was so far removed from okay. It's just... Oh, Warfield Excavator is the other properly. piece uh, we missed I, as far I, as main deck grave. There... <laughs> yeah. I might have misremembering this, but I think... I think the only reason one of the server decks got knocked out before the finals was it fought the other one in the semifinals. I think. I think it was oh, the case that, of... that I uh, not in the pro tour. No. Okay. I don't. Um. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think JN's build hit against Augur's build. I think yeah. that's how the bracket ran out. Um. Yeah, that was. So, it, to give you a sense of how dark things were. Um, going to that GP, I remember talking to a bunch of people, and my logical conclusion was there is no point in trying to interact this GP. If you're interacting, you're making a mistake. But on the other hand, I didn't want to play Survivor. Um, some of it was like this misguided sense of like, you know, it's not my deck. Some of it was a case of, well, I haven't put in the reps, so other people are going to know it better than I will. And some of it was, I was convinced I had a deck that could beat Survivor. Um, I didn't get to put this to the test, but my deck in question was Land Fact. And I spent a bunch of time tuning and gold fishing it. And whereas Adherent Survivor had a reliable turn three and a semi-often turn two, um, Land Fact had, if, if you knew for a fact your opponent wasn't, was going to try to gold fish you, you could kill on turn two a freakish amount of the time. Um, Land Fact was a deck that involved another uh, Memorium Arcanum card called Consuming Symbiosis, um, which had which was an Escalate card, where one of the modes was target creature gets plus X plus X until end of turn, where X is its power. It then also used Fetch Lands, um, the ability to flicker lands, and that as a pump spell to take um, Norwood Vanguard... I think is one Duskwood. of the green Oh yeah, um, Duskwood Vanguard, Duskwood Vanguard, and uh, Arpetian Champion. Get those guys up to having like eight or nine power on turn two, and then double their powers and kill. Um, and the specific logic was, hey, Adiran Survivor Center is <laughs> tapped. That means it can't block. Um, Unfortunately, everyone is packing one mana removal. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the deck had a very weird run. Um, I remember it beat Ninhasir in a matchup that should have been actually impossible, and then lost to a different Ninhasir deck um, in a matchup that was actually impossible. Um, but uh, one of the Ninhasir players just didn't, didn't respect the deck properly because I was just sandbagging lands the whole time. Um, and so I played out an Arp Champ. It didn't get killed. And so I untapped and immediately killed my opponent, um, which prompted a, wait, why didn't you do that earlier? And I was like, well, I was playing around stuff. You didn't tap out. Um, 
Notably, the combo also gave the creature Hexproof and Trample, if I'm remembering Whoa. correctly. Yeah. Like the cannon uh, card that doesn't double power. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Deeran Survivor, I think, you know, we were talking about how a lot of these decks are just kind of nightmare matchups for each other. I think there's very few decks that we've talked about that a deer and survivor has a bad matchup versus. Yeah, I'm not. I cannot think of a deck. The doll races it on the play. It, maybe, uh, like, maybe. I was gonna say, the doll races on the play and actually it runs a lot of one mana burn spells. So I think the doll actually can stop its turn twos reliably, and sometimes turn to it in response. I think the doll burn <laughs> is the only deck that gets even close. <laughs> Notably, some of these decks were control decks that were packing every removal spell under the sun, and other of these decks were decks with just piles of main deck life gain. It doesn't matter. Like, you, you're dead. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, I, this deck does probably out... I, I think this deck is really good versus Vidal Burn in the sense that Unmasker is just hard discard because Vidal Burn doesn't have extra mana yeah. lying around like that. <laughs> <laughs> um... And like unlikely to come up, but the deck again d- does run like six to eight blood artifacts. So if it somehow stabilizes versus Vidal, it can just start life gaining. Yeah, that's probably not going to come up. Probably not going to come up, but much, it, but it is relevant to note, especially because a single blood artist means that it can just combo kill you without attacking, which is a big deal. But if I had to, you know, take one of these decks and beat Survivor with it, I probably would be taking Vidal. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I know I was just bragging about Dreamsight. I would, I, I, you could not convince me to play the Dreamsight versus Survivor matchup. There is not <laughs> enough money in the world. It'd be over quickly. <laughs> That's true. Strong upsides. Actually, there definitely is enough money in the world. But uh, not, if, not if it was like a duel to the death or something. Um, yeah, God. It's... Talking through these decks, I think, also just really helps send the point of how far MSCM has come. And some of these decks, like, a lot of them got nerfed the next month. Like, that was a refrain that you heard a bunch. But some of them just got nerfed. Well, Dreamsight got to run for, for three so months long, with basically um, no until... nerfs. Bug Dreamsight, I mean, even, even once it lost some of its stuff, like, even once uh, Deadly Manipulation got hurt, hit. It was basically until May that that deck actually stopped being just be, being able to do everything that it was doing. And we mentioned that like Savage Bant was like a sad echo of Underworld Cookbook. Underworld Cookbook stuck around for like two or three months. And then Savage Bant was a few months after that. So there was like, at, like roughly half a year, I think, where some version of that combo was of the, like Savage Congregation combos was just allowed to exist. And we didn't even touch on some of the other, like, if you notice our ban list, you might notice there's a lot of cards on those that ban list for a lot of reasons that we didn't even touch on here. Like, we didn't talk about uh, Poison Well builds a Tron. We didn't talk about um, the thing that got Tron nerfed from producing six mana to five mana, which was taking turns Tron. Uh, we didn't talk about uh, any we, of the Mystic Meddling combo decks. We didn't talk about uh, Landstorm, which really wasn't was we didn't talk about great, any of the artifact based combo decks that this format has seen <laughs> how yeah. speed the tank yeah. the, the really old tank one. tools decks the more recent mechanotharge there's 
there's been a lot of busted artifact decks in this format. We also didn't talk about um, Embrace Madness combo uh, because it's kind of... I think Embrace Madness and Hellbent Speed both kind of fall in the same category as they were incredibly fast linear decks, but they weren't multidimensional enough. And we only offhandedly mentioned them. Casino Scam. Um, yeah. So I do think that it's really important to remember that while there is a lot of talk about MSEM being a format defined by broken cards, this format is nowhere near as broken as it used to be. Um, or a standard... Uh, no, that's a joke. But... Yeah. Well, We've kind learned of a, a joke, lot. Not. Um, Sarah has a really long ban list. Um, the other thing that I would bring up is, I remember when we were prepping for this episode, Dodger brought up, um, n- not just when we were, you know, putting together the finalists, but earlier, Dodger brought up, uh, you know, Wander- Wonderfall, and basically asked, where would that rate? Um, and I think very confidently, for the strongest in each of these categories... I would pick that over Wonderfall any single day, and I think it would beat Wand- most of them would beat Wonderfall uh, fairly consistently. Um, and I think except, Wonderf- Yeah, sorry, you go ahead. Except, except maybe, maybe Mono Green Ram. The, yeah, I, well, well, I was saying Wonderfall crushes Mono most Green Ram. Oh, right, sorry. You know, yeah. tri- not, not quite trivially, Constantly. but in any game where it doesn't get the turn three ball. <laughs> Yeah, and I think even some number of the games where it gets the turn <laughs> three bolt is the thing, because <laughs> Wonderfall can get a turn three uh, seeker pop off. Um, so one of the one of the big takeaways here um, is just MSCM is a great format with a lot of history, and there's a lot of nonsense that we've put up with over the years. Um, if you ever are looking through old GPS and you're like, why were they running cards like that? The answer is, those cards might have done something slightly different. Sometimes, no, we were just running bad cards. But a lot of the time, it's because, no, that was actually a turn three combo deck, but now it's a, you know, three drop, four, three. Um, All right, I think that's all we have for tonight. Um, Any closing thoughts from either of you guys? Uh, Stop (laughs) playing combo. We have to keep (laughs) perfect. Everyone play control. Go listen to the control podcast and play control again. If if you think you find something that should qualify for this list currently in the format, please let us know so we can nerf it or ban it. <laughs> like, like maybe do like a league run with it and then do that. But like, if you hold on to a GP, that's just going to hurt us, you know. Yeah. Going to hurt everyone. I definitely am glad we are past the days of a couple members of the community just like. Finding broken things, holding onto the text, spiking a GP, and then we would have to clean up the mess after the fact. Um, I'm glad that mostly, most common decks that show up in a GP we were aware of, but we failed to take action about, um, such as Mechanothurge, such as Sad Sad Combo. Um, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Um, we're signing off, and I hope you all have a wonderful whatever the time is for you guys.